Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, the Fred and Lou Hartwig family, Peter and Barbara Gattermeyer, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize, and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees. And by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome to Ruckus, our weekly food for thought fight over the news of the day and the trends of the times. I'm Mike Shannon. The Ruckheads join me shortly in our topics this week. A new school agenda in Lee Summit. We'll sum it up. A suggested agenda for the new mayor and city council. And a familiar agenda topic, ending the border war. Plus, of course, roast and toast. But we're going to start with our Newsmaker interview segment and focus on a newly released plan to revitalize the Rock Island Bridge. The bridge from the West Bottoms area to Kansas City, Kansas, will, if and when the plan comes to fruition, become a food hall, entertainment center, meetings venue, and maybe much more. Joining me to talk about the project are Kansas City, Kansas Mayor and CEO David Alvey and Michael Zeller, a partner with Flying Trust LLC. Mr. Mayor, Michael Zeller, welcome to both of you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Michael, let me start with you. Uh, how did this come to your mind? Did it just occur one day that this would be a great idea, <laughs> or did you see something like this in another part of the country? No, I'd never seen anything like this. I was on a boat with some friends going up and down the Missouri, and we decided to swing up the car to have a look, and I had my sons along and my wife, family, and uh, as we uh, went under a lot of unfamiliar bridges to me, uh, uh, this rusty icon emerged in the distance, and we all fell silent as we came closer and closer to it. And what we realized we were looking at was a modern Kansas City ruin. And I said, man, somebody ought to do something fun with that, put a restaurant out there and call it Chicken on a Bridge. Of course, that was, <laughs> that was just a joke, but it kind of stuck. And it's your company that uh, is hoping to do this. Yes. What else yes. has your company done? This is our first project. First project. Right. Mr. Mayor, uh, what's the Kansas City, Kansas role? Well, I think our role is, first of all, to uh, help fund the improvements over the bridge that will allow us to connect the trails on the west side of the Kansas River to the east side. And then if you get to the east side, then you can get to the trails along the Missouri River. Um, but I think our role also is just to support this and to highlight this and to bring attention and to help create energy for this moving forward. How are you going to do this? With star bonds? Well, you know, that might be phase two, the early two phases. The first phase is to activate the bridge to get people down there, crossing it, using it as a trail, and that's going to happen fairly soon. Uh, we will issue some, uh, if the commission approves, bonds to pay for improvements across the bridge to connect the trails. Uh, but for later on, as further development starts to de uh, show itself, then if, if there's sufficient capacity to support star bonds, we could go star bonds, but it could be other. I, I guess I should mention star bonds are bonds issued by the state that allow tax revenue, sales tax revenues from project we use to pay back the bonds. Correct, yes. Uh, yeah. How much is it going to cost? Phase one, to put the public trail across it, to bring... Uh, uh, water and sewage to the site uh, for walkers and bikers and people just coming down to be on the bridge is a little over two million dollars. Mm -hmm. How do you protect people from the weather? Well, this is a seasonal venue. It's nine months a year, phase one. Only when it's nice, huh? Yeah. yeah. During the yeah. nice yeah. times of year. Uh, any safety concerns about this project? It's an old, old bridge. 
Yeah. Well, the bridge is a battleship. It's been inspected twice by engineers. Uh, it's built to carry locomotives. It's never been salted like a car bridge would be. We will exceed all the safety standards for railings. You know, we can't, of course, you can't stop somebody if they want to hurt themselves, but that's true of, of any rooftop venue or a apartment uh, balcony. Uh, of course, it's hard to describe what you're going to have. Is there yeah. a place people can go on their internet and take a yeah. look at the plans? Yeah, we have some early renderings and a lot of photographs at rockislandbridgeproject.org. All right. Uh, Mr. Mayor, uh, what do you see this doing for Kansas City, Kansas, and Wyandotte County when it comes to fruition? So I think what I love about the bridge is it's its own metaphor. It's a bridge between two cities. Yeah. It's a bridge between two states. You know, one of the topics for your show today is the ending border the border war. war. Yeah. And this is a great, you know, handshake across two states, across two cities. And so it's going to take a lot of cooperation. But I think the other thing, it will bring economic development along the west side of the bridge down Kansas Avenue. We have a lot of really good places to eat along mm -hmm. Kansas Avenue. If people will just go out and find them. Uh, but it's also going to connect to development on the east side. And uh, just west of the High V Arena, there should be quite a bit of development. So it's going to be a lot so, of attention, and it's going to really change people's experience, I think, of the industrial part of the Seeing as a positive for both Kansas City, Missouri and Kansas City, Kansas, it's owned by Kansas City, Missouri, although it's not physically in Missouri, as I understand it. Right. And Kansas City, Missouri has agreed to rent the bridge for a period of time. Yes, I think they have at least for yeah. 25 years with renewal option after 25 years. Yeah, uh, this bridge is right on the border. It's yeah. less than a minute walk from the High V Arena. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, in the West Bottoms area of yes, what yes. we tend to think well, of as Kansas City, Missouri, yeah. but, uh, but I guess a lot of part of it is in, yeah. in the West Bottoms. Uh, so when do you expect to start inviting patrons to come to the bridge? Well, if things uh, go as planned, that could be as soon as next summer. All right, great, gentlemen. Thank you very much You're for welcome. coming in. Pleasure to see both of you, and good luck with the project. Yeah, Hope we'll it, see you out over you. the river. I'll I'll be glad to be there. Uh, that's Kansas City, Kansas Mayor David Alvey and Michael Zeller with Flying Trust LLC. Now let's meet the panel and start a ruckus. Ron Freeman is a motivational speaker and writer. Patrick McInerney is a former prosecutor and now in private practice with Spencer Fain. Michelle Watley is founder of the Griot Group, a consulting firm. And back from the wilds of Jeff City, Woody Kozad, president of the Kozad Company, a government relations firm. Welcome to all of you. A special anniversary greeting to Michelle, who is now completing her first year as a ruckette. Ruck what, pos yeah. what possible right. goal do you have left? <laughs> to do another year, possibly? <laughs> all right. We look, we look right. forward to many more years with you here on the panel. The new Kansas City, Missouri mayor and city council take office on August the 1st and are, no doubt, giving lots of thought to their agenda. Always willing to offer advice, the Kansas City Star suggests a few, actually a lot, of suggestions. They include what must be obvious to most anyone who pays even remote attention to the news. They include, but are not limited to, the mounting homicide rate, a lack of affordable housing, infrastructure deficiencies, economic incentives, trash collection, city manager, and on and on. As someone who pays more than remote attention to the news, what one or two priorities do you suggest to the new council? We'll start with Patrick. I, I think, Mike, they kind of set them themselves. Um, the housing trust issue is a $75 million hurdle that somebody has to clear. Um, and the, the, the first and biggest part of that is finding $75 million. Um, you know, there was a lot of conversation in the campaign about housing equity and about affordable housing. And so that, that uh, number one item on the agenda, they really set themselves. 
Um, certainly crime. Crime came up all the time. There, there wasn't a bold new solution because there's not a bold new solution for crime. Uh, there was talk about the police board, which doesn't matter. There was talk about the homicide rate. And now we've seen a shift in enforcement priorities in Kansas City. Uh, so I, I think all those things, in addition to basic services, um, that the candidates said at every turn, at every meeting, at every forum, they heard about basic services. They heard trash and they heard potholes and they heard roads and infrastructure. So uh, I think they've got an agenda. I think that agenda was set about 10 days ago. And uh, the question is going to be how those coalitions are going to shake out on the council. What are you, from your standpoint, what do you see as a couple of the top priorities the council and mayor should adopt? Well, some of them never change, and I, I won't go over the same ones. The crime, obviously, the homicide rate's a big one. How about tax obviously. rate? Uh, the, the one that the, the one I'd like to see them fix is that our government's bloated. It's overstaffed. It's too expensive. We have more debt per capita than any comparable city in America. So for four years, don't borrow any more money. Pay down on your debt for a while and, and get us into the middle of the pack on our debt level. Uh, I think there's going to be a, a, a new city manager, and when that happens, there'll be a bunch of new department heads. That's an opportunity, since your government is badly run, to get some new blood in here and straighten it out and slim it down some, and they should do that. On the housing front, one of the things to remember is that when you build a new house on flat land, empty land, and you charge $200,000 for that house, $50,000 of that is regulatory compliance at every level, federal, state, local. Uh, our codes enforcement is a disaster in its administration, the way it's administered. It's inconsistent. It's a mess. And if we can do something about that regulatory load, we can attract people to build here. Uh, um, Michelle, uh, Woody suggests there will be a new city manager. We're going to have six new members of the city council, a new mayor uh, who has been on the council, six incumbent council members returning. Is this the time to dump an experienced city manager? I think it just depends on what initiatives the mayor wants to move forward with and if the city manager will support that. We have a weak mayor, former government, so the city manager plays a pivotal role in the mayor's ability and the council's ability to move things <coughs> forward. So it's really up to the mayor-elect to decide, you know, if the current city manager will help move those initiatives along, but he's also got to worry about the relationships that he has with current city council members. He's only served one term in the city council, so that will play in a role in his ability to move things forward. So it'd be left to be seen. I think it's incumbent upon him to uh, continue to build the relationships, see if he can work with the, the current city manager, and if he can't, do what he has to do. So I don't think the city manager can be changed just by the mayor. I think it takes the entire council to do that. It does, and that's why the council uh, member relationships yeah, are important. Uh, Jolie Justice was the failed candidate for mayor. She has said during the campaign she wants to keep working for the city. Uh, the new mayor, Quentin Lucas, says he wants Jolie Justice to be working for the city. What, if anything, do you think she's actually going to be doing for the city government? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, but just kind of conceptually, I mean, would she be a good city manager? I don't know her that well, but that takes a different kind of a No, person. but couldn't she work on the affordable housing program, for I mean, example, as a the, volunteer? As a volunteer, yeah, any number of things like that. Uh, the affordable housing, in terms of the implementation of the current uh, TIF structure that we're working on to make sure that's handled right, there are a lot of things there is to work on. But the, I think the bigger deal is for... Uh, Quentin Lucas, is, as, as he goes forward, he's got to be able to uh, not overstep this first term and try and get too big, but say, hey, you know, basic things, basic services. I mean, if he took care of the potholes, made sure the airport was moving on schedule, he'd be a winner second term. But if you're talking person. to Quentin right now, if you're talking to Quentin today, don't you tell him, you know what, out of the gate, you've got to have a big win. I don't know what it is, but yeah. you've got to have a big 
win um, early in your term that shows that you're here and the projects that you talked about and your priorities are going to come true. Because you made big promises on yeah, the campaign. Absolutely. Yeah, I have a big win what, for what, the what, whole, what, whole board. What, what would be a big win, Patrick? Uh, the, the housing, perfect example. Coming the up with the trust. money? Yeah, find the 75 million bucks and fund the uh, the housing issue. Uh, they talked about that, that specific issue among a larger conversation about housing equity during the campaign. That would be a big win for Quentin Lucas. All right, we're going to move on to another topic. The volatile situation in the Lee Summit School District seems to have calmed after the school board finally approved what is called equity training for teachers and staff. The training is designed to equip district personnel to deal more successfully with minority students. The board had vacillated over adding the program. The superintendent, Dennis Carpenter, the first African-American to hold the post, threatened to resign if the board blocked the program. Impetus for the training was prompted by data suggesting that African-American students performed less well academically than white students in the district, and while making up only 12% of enrollment, Minority students receive 36% of Lee's Summit suspensions. So, will adding equity training solve the district's concerns? And we start with Ron. Well, I think it's about the approach. First of all, they actually passed the equity plan, the concept, in 2016. So, it's been on the table for a while. Uh, and then, furthermore, when you look at why they rejected the EEC plan originally, uh, their president was at the school board meeting, interviewed right there in public. They asked him about, can he tell us Will your program effectively close the achievement gap? And the guy said, I quote, it would be disingenuous of me to say that we're going to have any effect on closing the achievement gap. And so then they asked him about, well, tell us about your successes in their next part, which is dismantling oppression in schools. Tell us about how that works. And he didn't have an answer. And so that's when they said, you know, we're going to vote no on this. And so then it became a racial issue. And it got, I mean, it's really a, it's frighteningly racialized, at least some right now. And a lot of it's just driven by, the perception that somehow the board rejected it because they didn't want to close the gap and they didn't care about dealing with issues with the community, and that's simply not the case. So do you think this program is worthless? Uh, I th in particular, uh, this particular program, I think it has not proven to do what they say it's going to do. So, yeah, it doesn't do, it won't get the job done fully. Well, they don't have a program yet. And, right. and what you're talking about is this vendor. Right, and exactly. This is the, so it's not about the equity training concept. It's about this vendor. I mean, if you hire a guy exactly. to build a bridge and you say, is the bridge going to fall down? He goes, I can't tell you it's not going to fall down. You're not going to hire him. Yeah. I mean, that, that's about that particular vendor. The concept of equity, though, I think oh, that, that the equity training is badly needed when you look at the disparity between yeah. achievement and especially the discipline disparity. I mean, that's got to be addressed, and this is a good first step. So is Ask the, North Kansas City. Is, is the way oh, to correct that, to, the is the way to correct the, the inequities to train teachers and staff or to devote more attention to the students? Well, I think the big deal, if, in my opinion, if you want to find out uh, to be effective at educating African-Americans, find out about the ones who've succeeded and what are they doing different. Because there are obviously a lot of African-American students go through Lee Summit, graduate even valedictorian African-American. So the process works there for African-Americans as well as anybody else. What's going on differently? And, that, and most people understand it's in the home where the big difference with the education is. But if you've got parents holding kids accountable, working with them to overcome the problem. teachers play a role in that, too. And that's oh, what's do. being oh, reflected to say oh, no that question. we cannot and we should not invest in ensuring that our teachers are not uh, bringing their biases to the classroom in a way that impacts students disproportionately is inappropriate. Point blank. 
in a oh, period. I, I, You've oh, seen absolutely. a number of school districts in the area who have implemented the same equity training with some success. And to say that an, a weekend conference on equity and dismantling racism yeah. will, you know, close achievement gaps and, and eradicate racism is just inappropriate yeah. well, also. Well, the it's guy the guy start. He, he couldn't define the success. And, and he's been doing it for 16 years. I want to get Woody in here for a second. The superintendent, Mr. Carpenter, threatened to resign if the board didn't do what he wanted. Did he handle this situation properly? question is, did they? And the answer is, hell no. Rule one, you have an employee who threatens to resign, you go into an executive session and accept his resignation. Even if you're going to adopt his policy, you find somebody else to execute it. You never let policy be set by the guy who's supposed to execute the policy. Now, if he has a recommendation, he comes to you, and if he's smart, he starts out talking to you privately one at a time, gets some support built up for it, then he presents it when he already knows he's got a lot of support behind it. When he comes in and threatens to resign, he's gone. So he behaved him properly, and uh, you say the board did uh, as I'm well. I'm more interested in the board. I mean, people do stupid things. The board shouldn't sit there and, and take it there, at all. Nobody right. had a corner and, on stupidity here. I mean, it well, was evenly yeah. distributed. I, that's what I just said. He did something distributed. stupid, and the board did something stupid. Evenly distributed but, but, at the expense of the students. But, and that's what's one last thing. Thing. This entire discussion. Well, Woody, quick, where, where you... Where you're having a conversation about race, people leave. Baltimore, metro area, St. Louis, <laughs> metro area lost more population than any other cities so in you, America. So what, you don't have the conversation? So it, I, I'm telling you, people want to talk about the ball team, the neighborhood. If your city is preoccupied with race, they're going to leave and businesses are not going to move but, in. But when we're talking about our kids, we can't worry about the feelings of adults and who wants to talk about what and who feel comfortable. Talk about math, English, about science, and history, and, and race, you'll get racism results. And plays a role in that. When you, and in a lot and of our systems. Ignore issues of race. You saying. can't look. He's thirty. You say there's thirty-six percent. I hear that, that if a black guy drives down the road, he's more likely to get a ticket. No, ninety-one percent more likely. That's astronomical. And what they don't tell you is that a black pedestrian is eighty percent more likely to get hit by a car. Now, why is that? What's there, the explanation for there, that? If there's a racial there's issue a, behind either one of those, we ought to talk about it. Your solution yeah, but is you school don't, district you setting don't is know to that ignore yet. it. And that makes zero sense. You but take those two of, numbers and they uh, don't, that doesn't prove uh, anything. Uh, okay, we're going to have to write. Whoa, 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 we've got to stop. Ron, a, a carpenter was under police or sheriff's protection. Is oh, he still? Do you right. know? I suppose he is, but here's what's ironic is the Jackson County Sheriff's Office said that the claims of the threat were unfounded. At least some of PD said they were unwarranted, and it's—I mean—but it, it created a storyline that again the Kansas City Star loves and wants to run with. But at the end of the day, this is what happens when you talk about race. Because, All right, again, people. Is this bad? Hey, we gotta go on. Hey, folks, we gotta go on. The long. I know what it's called. I give it the title, Patrick. Thank you. The long-running so-called border war may. You having a problem of some no, sort? No, uh, we're, we're good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Long-running thing called border war may, emphasis on may, be coming to a close. Both bi-state governors, Mike Parson in Missouri and Laura Kelly in Kansas, agree the efforts to move businesses and jobs across state and county lines, especially in this metro, are wasteful and unproductive. Governor Parson signed a bill ending tax incentives to bring companies from Kansas to Missouri. And Governor Kelly says she will issue an executive order compatible with Missouri's actions. But let's start with this question. In a country, the United States, that thrives on competition, why is there such distaste 
for the border war. We'll start with Michelle. Because it's not really competition, it's almost like a race to the bottom in which both sides of the of the region, you know, both states are having to fight and, and give out, you know, large sums of money and, and breaks and incentives with very little return at the cost of taxpayers. So it's not about competition. This isn't competition. We've got to figure out a better way to incentivize businesses to come into the region so that both uh, states and the region as, as a whole and taxpayers benefit from their doing business in our, in our area. What do you think this legislation from Missouri and the executive order from Laura Kelly is going to stop companies moving from one side of the state line well, to the other? No, but it, it it, it stops state incentives. Now, right. the city of Kansas City is not prohibited from doing what it wants to do, KCK, but the state incentives uh, should be stopped for a certain group of counties on each side of the state line. That's a good thing. I agree with Michelle. This is not competition. Uh, if you want to compete for business, your overall business atmosphere should be better. Not, oh yeah, we want that company to come here now, so we're going to give them something that nobody else in our city is going to get. So can I ask you what, yeah, a political question? Why did Sonny Perdue drop this bomb on the state line between Missouri and Kansas? I mean, he, he's the Secretary of Agriculture. He has to have staff who in five minutes could figure out, you know what, there's been this historical border war, so if you're going to say, hey, we're going to put it in one place or the other, but we're not sure, you're going to create a storm in Kansas City. Why, why would that happen? I ask that honestly. I, I don't, don't know why I, that would happen. I have no idea what's going through their heads back in Washington. I'm very happy that they're going to move it out of Washington uh, to somewhere where there's actually well, agriculture. With one-third of the employees. I think, I, I think they failed to get the money approved for the move. That was in the news, I think, yesterday. I heard the report this morning that 66% of the employees have indicated that they would not move to uh, Kansas City. Let me City. tell you something. When, we, when, when the food like supply jobs. of the world was right. threatened by uh, uh, soybeans we'll and cyst nematodes, the center of the effort globally to do something about it was right here in the Midwest. We can hire better people than they have right now in our area to work in a an agricultural research facility. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like so if, they, if none of them want to come, that's fine. When this yeah. story was making news, I heard a report on local television that Waddell, Waddell and Reed were moving across state line. Actually, they said Waddle and Reed. And I, but that's unfortunate. They don't know the name of the business. Right now. But, but these things continue to go on, and I don't think there's any way to stop them. Do you? Well, I think it's only natural. I mean, if a business feels it's to their advantage to move to a certain area, they're, they're going to do that. Uh, and whether that's a tax incentive or some other reason, maybe it's a cost of, uh, of leasing property. It might make economic sense for some companies to make the move if it doesn't make economic sense overall. Right. Exactly. I mean, but I, again, I think it comes back to that company's making that decision. I think when you look at the federal government coming here, though, they should be more, okay, judicious and look at the situation and say, how can we make it work on both? Who says all those people have to be in one building? Michelle, is Which it possible, is it possible yeah. businesses aren't going to have much interest in Kansas City because of the Jackson County tax rate that's causing so much concern? Uh, you know, that's left to be seen. I would be worried about current taxpayers who were up in arms about the you know, astronomical increase uh, of their property values and the tax. Well, it affects the businesses know. too. It does affect the businesses because, you know, their employers live and, and move here. But um, in the immediate future, that is of the greatest. It seems reason. to me like this happens every time. Every time. You get into a boom yeah. and then values go up some and the county goes. But the approach this time was to solve the whole problem today. Yeah. As opposed yeah. to spreading it out a little bit, right. which I think would pro provide a little bit more Political I don't think it's the first time they've made this mistake. All right. right. Now we're going to take off and go over to the soapbox. Time for Roast and Toast, where the Ruckettes have 30 seconds each to analyze, compromise, or theorize. 
Up first is Patrick. Um, I, I want to roast this morning a, a couple different uh, agencies, Customs and Border Protection, because that's easy, it's low-hanging fruit, but the Justice Department, who uh, carried through with an argument um, last week regarding the detention of migrant children and what was fair and uh, safe and sanitary conditions for those children. We know that those that, that this woman, this particular DOJ lawyer, was put in the incredible position of trying to argue that uh, toothbrushes and toothpaste were not uh, basics. Woody? Uh, I'd like to uh, toast our new mayor-elect, Quentin Lucas. Uh, if you told me a year ago he was going to win this thing, I'd have told you I, you were mistaken. Uh, when they couldn't reduce the number of African-American candidates for the primary, I thought he was done for, and I'll tell you a lot of his supporters thought so too and said so, and he found a way to win it, uh, win that primary and make it to the finals, and he spent his money and his resources. Uh, he stayed completely focused on voter turnout and did a great job of that, and that's what won him the election while Joe Lee was putting money on television. And uh, I congratulate him on a brilliant campaign. Last week, the panel was saying it's because he was conservative, or more conservative than his opponent. Uh, all right, got his vote out. I'm going to roast the, the Kansas City Star uh, because I think they were irresponsible in their reporting on the Lee Summit schools. They misrepresented the whole situation. Uh, teachers and the board alike have been supportive of equity training since 2016. Uh, they simply disagree with the EEC approach, uh, and, and it's the approach that matters. Uh, instead of beating the board into submission by calling them racist, uh, maybe they should have listened to all sides, uh, branded an entire community for a program the owner has said would not close the gap and would not solve your racial problems in, in, in a community, and to reject that didn't make you racist. And celebrating her first anniversary is Michelle. <laughs> I want to give a toast to the Kansas City Star for an editorial they put out uh, titled The Anatomy of a Smear, where they talked about some of the negative campaigning that took place in the mayor's race. But I also want to roast them for not going far <laughs> enough. That in that article, they pinpointed one outside org, Freedom Incorporated, for their negative campaigning, but didn't really go into the depth and breadth of the role of negative campaigning outside orgs um, that took place here in the Kansas City mayoral race and city council races, and how that impacted decent candidates. You know, Hartsfeld, who was a decent candidate, was overshadowed by negative campaigning. Same with Jolie. And even uh, Mayor-elect Quentin Lucas and Remington Group and the negative campaigning that came out last minute. So, roast and a toast for my one-year anniversary. Extra time, I guess, is available on your first anniversary. That is <laughs> ruckus for this week. We're going to be off next week because of the 4th of July holiday back the following week, July the 11th <laughs> of 7. Now for the Ruckus and crew, Mike Shannon saying have a great 4th. Thanks for watching and good night.